The ceaseless sound of the clicking cuckoo clocks would have driven most men mad. Some said they had, in fact, done just that to the old woodcarver. Where the boy had really come from, no one knew. But few believed his ramblings about a talking piece of wood he'd carved into a sun. Few, that is, but not none. The door burst open so hard that a clock with a lumberjack on it fell off the wall, sending tiny wooden woodsmen clattering to the floor mid-chop. Inside the doorframe stood a tall, thin man dressed resplendently in all black, save for the purple interior lining of his cape and the bright silver chain of his pocket watch dangling in front of his waistcoat. He had long white hair, a cleanly shaved face, and an eye patch over one eye. He waited a moment for his cape to stop billowing before he spoke. Where did you get the wood? Welcome, Signore, to my humble wood shop. My wood, she is all locally sourced and chemical-free. Nothing but the finest... The boy. Where did you get the wood for the boy? Please, sir, there is no need to be so aggressive. Let me get you a nice glass of Velipicella. Now then, you want me to make something for you? I don't need you to make anything. My wood carving skills far surpass your clumsy hacking. I just need to know where you got the wood. I don't know what you mean, Signore. There is no special wood. There is no magic boy. Tell me! Papa, what is this shopping? That's him, isn't it? He does exist. Please, sir. Haven't you learned yet, old man? It isn't nice to lie. That's true, Papa. I need the wood. The mice have the shoes. They're in a nut. They put them in a nut. And I'm watching them right now. Watching them? The man tapped his eye patch. Oh, I'm always watching them. Mice, mice, mice. Tell me where you got the wood or I throw the boy in the fire. See if he still burns. Mama mia! Enough! No one threatens my son! What kind of a man are you? I'm sorry. I'm... You're right. I'm acting crazy. I just... I just need it. I need it to save my niece. A child? She needs my help, and I need yours. Why don't you just ask, signore? If there is a girl in trouble, I will help you. My Clara. My poor sweet Clara. Welcome, Yuletide Revelers, to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers Electronic Storytime presentation of the Nutcracker Counter Melody. Now roast your chestnuts on an open fire as I turn you over to the Brimble Banks Brothers themselves, Bentley and Jameson Brimble Banks. That's quite the substantially sized present you're carrying there, Brother Bentley. Indeed it is, Brother Jameson. I wonder just who it might be for. There's a tag, dear brother. Oh. To Millicent. You know, I forgot for a moment we're sharing our home with our cousins Millicent and Lucinda now. They have been quiet lately. I want to make sure poor Millicent has a nice holiday. She's been so somber since... Seeing one's pet dog sucked through a portal into another dimension can have that effect on young people. True. Ah, here comes dear Midnight. See, she has a present for you, Jameson. Ah, a dead mouse. <laughs> Delightful. Disgusting. Yes, but I'm just relieved that the recent loss of one of her eyes doesn't seem to have hampered her hunting prowess. <coughs> it's a gesture of affection, you know. I know, but... Oh, very well. Thank you, Midnight. <coughs> and in return, a story. Now, let's see. A missing eye, a dead mouse, a Christmas present... <laughs> There's really only one choice. How right. The truth is that the magic men and women of lore very often did not marry and even less frequently had children. 
The mayors of green cities, the CEOs of chocolate factories, the principals of wizarding schools, wizened advisors to once and future kings, librarian vampire hunting coaches, grey or white leaders of fellowships, umbrella flying nannies, dressmaking godmothers, old bens who haven't heard their names in years. Single and childless all. For the study of magic or pursuit of any craft that resembles it is all-consuming. And so hardly lends itself to child-rearing an all-consuming enterprise of its own, a passionate and unwavering focus on unpredictable mercurialness. Excellent traits for a wizard, less so for a father or mother. No, these chocolate puppet musketeers of law had no spouses or children, but we sometimes forget that they did have mothers and fathers, and they almost always had brothers and sisters. These brothers and sisters were just never very interesting, which is why they're so seldom heard from in the annals of literature. And that means that men and women of magic almost always had nieces and nephews. And such was the case for the great toy magician Drosselmeyer. Great craftsmen, inventors, and magicians like Drosselmeyer gained so much strange knowledge and skill over a lifetime that, even without children, they usually come to a place of yearning, though they may not be aware of it themselves, for a great student or protege to whom they can pass on some small part of their secrets and skills. Now the run-of-the-mill nieces or nephew is useless for such purposes. These nieces and nephews take, as it were, after their parents, and they'll live perfectly warm, lovely, and simple lives. But occasionally, there is a niece or nephew that catches the true attention of the magician, not because they are a cheering presence or willing audience, but because the magician sees in them what they hope is magic. And this is what happened one winter evening at the home of Drosselmeyer's sister, Isabel. When after dinner, Drosselmeyer stepped away from the noise and colors of his sister's pre-holiday dinner to find a moment of silence and collect his thoughts. He stepped into the study because it was dim besides a fire in the hearth and found that someone else had sought out the peace and quiet before him. Clara was dancing. Her stockinged feet moved silently on the large carpet stretched before the fire. They were small, delicate movements that fit no style of dance Drosselmeyer had ever learned. The melody she danced to... Clara hummed at moments and then fell silent, hearing the music only in her head. It was an aristocratic dance, simultaneously delicate and proud. But there was a wildness underneath it that kept emerging and then becoming subdued. Drosselmeyer stepped back into the doorway, into the darkness and out of the light of the fire. His heart thrilled at the dance, and he wouldn't have dreamt of disturbing something so beautiful. As she danced, he began to hear her music, the music she was humming, as if played by a full orchestra. He could follow its delicate notes, swelling into natural beauty, and then back into delicacy. Clara's dancing expanded as the music swelled. Drosselmeyer was no dancer, but his toys. His toys were renowned for their grace of movement. Inside his heart, Drosselmeyer danced, though his body could not follow, and these movements, this need, this passion, manifest in his toys, full and complete. But here, in this little girl, in his niece, was something else altogether. Even if Drosselmeyer had not recognized the potential in the dancing, he could never have missed the look on Clara's face when she turned away from the fire. The look of utter transport. The look of a soul engaged in what it most needed and was put on the earth to do. That look was something he would never fail to see, yet almost never encountered in this cruel world. And here it was, in his niece, in Clara. It had been too long since he had visited his sister. When did this happen? How had he missed it? Suddenly he heard footsteps behind him and he whirled, instinctively closing the door behind him as if to protect a fragile treasure from the slightest breeze. What is it, brother? Hmm? 
You left dinner before dessert, and I know you never want to miss the berry tarts. Drosselmeyer loved his sister, in the thoughtless, offhand, unexamined way of someone whose passions drive him and are not focused on people. What's in the room? Asked Isabel, who knew her brother well enough to know that any door he had secretively closed had best be opened soon, or her and her family might be in for any number of surprises. A surprise for the children? No. Isabel reached for the doorknob and Drosselmeyer moved to block her. I mean, yes. A surprise for the children. I'll give it to them after dessert. Well, let me see it now. Well, it's a surprise for you, too. I can just as easily be surprised by it now as later. And you know I don't like you giving them gifts that I don't approve of, brother. You spoil them. She started to push him aside. No, Isabel, no. I'm sorry. Don't go in there. It's... it's not a toy. It's... it's Clara. You have my daughter in that room and you don't want me to see her. Get out of my way. No, Isabel, she's dancing. Well, she needs to come join us for dessert. She wasn't excused from dinner, and why on earth would you not want me to see my daughter dancing? It's not the seeing her. You can't interrupt her. It's... What is this? What are you saying? Izzy, Clara is... She's not just... Izzy, she's dancing. Do you... Does she have an instructor? She needs the best. The very best. I know someone. I suppose she's been getting some lessons from her tutor. All of the girls have, but... No, no! Not all the girls. Not a tutor. Izzy, she's... In my work, my toys, one of my specialties is dancing. I'm no dancer myself, but she has the unique grace I strive for. No. With the right teacher. Brother, stop! And she pushed him out of the way and opened the door. There was a small gasp inside the room. Clara, go to the dining room this instant. You were not excused, and your father will want to speak to you about it later. Clara pushed past her uncle and mother, her eyes down, her cheeks flushed. I'm sorry, mother. But there's no need to... Clara, go. And the girl hurried away. There won't be another word of this from you. She said to her brother. I mean it, or we won't have you over again. She said and left the hall for the dining room. In the days that followed, Drosselmeyer could not put Clara's dancing out of his head. There was magic in his family, in his niece, and it needed to be expressed. If her sister meant to stand in his way, then his sister must be subverted. What good was he as an uncle if he could not do something this fundamental to help his niece? So single-minded were his thoughts, as thoughts generally were for Drosselmeyer. Had he been able to step back to see the full picture, he might have understood from whence Isabel's objection stemmed. Perhaps they could have talked. As Drosselmeyer was, he left the house quite at a loss. He looked for some time for shoes that seemed worthy of his dear niece, but no shoes made by human hands seemed fine enough. He eventually heard rumor of shoes that might be better than those made by human hands. Drosselmeyer found the cobbler's shop utterly unassuming in appearance, but he knew from his own work that a simplistic surface could disguise wonders. I need to obtain some shoes. You've come to the right place, sir, as I am a shoemaker. Yes, I need a special pair of shoes. Oh, well, we mostly have the feet covering kind. Will that do? I need a pair of ballet slippers. The shoemaker looked down at Drosselmeyer's feet, then back up to his eye. I don't think we have any in your size in stock, <laughs> sir, but if you come back... They're not for me. They're for my niece. And I need them from your special stock. Special stock, sir? Let's not waste both of our time pretending we don't both know your secret. Oh, I'm in no rush, sir. You uh, wouldn't be. I hear most of your shoemaking gets done at night. 
and not by you. Is that what you heard? That's what I heard. And where might you have heard that? I am an inventor, sir. We had a mutual client once. Her godmother had acquired a pair of glass slippers from you. Ones that, once bonded with their owner, would never fit another pair of feet in the world. What did this alleged client hire you for? I invented some very creative devices used to extract vengeance on her stepmother. Have you ever seen a Chinese finger trap? I believe so. Attempt to remove my version incorrectly and your fingernails go instead. Oh, well, I think you must have me confused with- I have many similar devices, cobbler. I can show you them, or you can show me the shoe. The shoemaker flipped the sign at his door so it read closed to the outside world and pulled the curtains over the windows. From underneath his work table, he retrieved a small chest. He unlocked it and displayed the contents to Drosselmeyer. These silver slippers. Very powerful. They can protect the wearer from harm and have an interdimensional transportation trigger in the heels. Interesting. I can also get them for you in Ruby. But they don't look right for dancing. Oh, you can dance in them well enough. But not ballet. These red shoes look right for ballet. Uh, do you care for your niece, sir? I love her dearly. Then you don't want these shoes, sir. What about this pair? I don't think you'd want those either. Those are ballet slippers, certainly, but... And the shoemaker leaned in conspiratorially and whispered in Drosselmeyer's ear. To where? I'm sorry, please, keep your voice down. There are those who would do dark deeds to obtain these shoes if they knew where they were. The shoemaker leaned in again and whispered. But... But that's perfect! I'll take these, shoemaker. But... Do you not care for your niece? As much as I care for anyone, which is why I must have these shoes. And unbeknownst to either the inventor or the cobbler, a pair of pink eyes watched and a pair of round ears listened, very alert round ears that crouched very, very close to the soft-spoken shoemaker and his customer. I must tell the king, the shoes. The very next time Drosselmeyer was invited to dinner, I know it's not Christmas quite yet, but I have gifts for everyone. Just a taste of things to come. He had considered waiting until Christmas, but he couldn't stand the thought of Clara's talent being suffocated one more day. The children cheered. All of Drosselmeyer's other nieces and nephews were soon happily opening beautifully wrapped small boxes inside of which were dolls and horses and games. Only Clara did not yet have a gift. Clara, I saved yours for last, because I know children never want clothes for Christmas and much prefer toys. But I want you to understand that these... well, here. He handed her the box. She untied the ribbon and took off the lid. Inside were two ballet shoes. Clara looked up at her uncle, uncomprehending. These are not just any dance shoes. They're... They're beautiful! Give me those. And Isabel snatched the box out of Clara's hands. Clara instinctively reached for them. Mother! What did I tell you? What did we talk about? And Isabel struck Clara across the face with her open hand. Isabel! Stay out of this! I said there would be no dancing, Clara. I was very clear. No dancing? Go to your room, Clara. Mom? Now! And Clara ran from the room. Clara, wait. Don't you dare defy me in front of my daughter. Isabel, if I could just explain to you the nature of these shoes. Enough! I was very clear with you that if you brought up dancing to that girl again, you would be banned from this home. Why would you do such a thing? You won't do this again to this family. Not to my children. Not after we worked so hard to recover from everything you did. What, I? Oh, brother, you know how much I love you. I do, but you are blind to everyone but yourself and your work. 
You're blind to the destruction that you caused. What destruction have I caused you? Father worked so hard at his business, so hard to raise the name of this family to something that people would respect. But what does the name Trosselmeyer mean to the world now? How the devil should I know? Exactly. You don't, and you never did. You squandered all of it to make these strange... You and your children are well provided for. I have seen to it that you have everything you need. You don't know what we need. Father did not leave you the estate to squander it on trips to far-off places to meet shadowy inventors in the East or mask makers in Italy. Caring for an estate is not just caring for a property, but knowing that the name carries weight and respect. Now the name Drosselmeyer is the subject of whispers and laughter and gossip and... and fear. Drosselmeyer's face moved between contempt and hurt. I love you. I love you so much and I admire what you can do. And when you are here, on the rare occasions you think to visit us, when you are here you make the children happy, and I love you for that too. But we are poor, brother, and we are laughed at and pitied. I mean, there was an entire year where everywhere you went, all you talked about was mice! Drosselmeyer put a hand over his eye patch. I see mice. Not again! Not a word about the mice! We are a fallen family. But this home, your clothes, they're all beautiful. You're a showman, brother. You know the importance of keeping up appearances. But how is any of this, any of your anger at me, the fault of Clara? Why punish her? Because I know why you gave her those slippers. So that she could... Because you think she's like you. You give them to her out of your own vanity. They're only shoes. Don't think I believe for a moment that Drosselmeyer the toy maker, Drosselmeyer the magician, gave his niece a pair of shoes that are only shoes shoes. I will not have you turn my daughter into- Sister! Into a selfish, manic-driven, single-minded- But you can't make her be anything, Isabel. The girl is what she is. She is exquisite, unique. If you try to change her, you'll choke the very life out of her. Father's money is all but gone, brother. And what remains of this family's name is mine to protect. Clara's hope is that she marries well. And I'll see to it, at least, that she grows into the type of girl that a man would- What are you saying? How can you reduce Clara and to- And then, then, when she is settled, when she is safe and able to carry her head high, when I know she is well taken care of, then she may spend all her days, every last one of them, dancing. For her husband? Clara's gift is for the world, and we have the responsibility to- We don't have the responsibility. You don't even know what the word means. Clara is my responsibility. Your job is toys. Leave the important parts to me. I didn't know you could be this cold, or this blind. Brother, hear me now. Not a word to Clara about dance, or about these shoes. Or I mean it this time, you will not step foot in my home again, and you will not see Clara. Remember your place. There was a long moment of silence. Drosselmeyer weighed his sister. There was no choice. Drosselmeyer nodded, defeated. He turned to go, then stopped. Christmas Eve? It wouldn't be Christmas for anyone here if you didn't come. Drosselmeyer nodded. His boots clacked on the wood floor as he strode into the foyer, out of the door and into the snow. Isabel watched him go, and then turned to the fireplace and threw the shoes into it. The fire flared for a moment and then was subdued. The shoes remained unburnt. After some moments, Isabel pulled them from the fire. They were still cool. Of course, I should have guessed. Give them to me. Isabel had thought she was alone and was quite startled to hear the voice. Who said that? I did. 
Give them to me. They can't be destroyed, not by anything. It was with no small degree of alarm that Isabel saw the voice belong to a tiny mouse standing atop the unused logs next to the fireplace. Also surprising, the mouse was wearing a crown made of shining gold and purple velvet and a matching purple velvet coat. Still, Isabel was less surprised than many people would have been, as Drosselmeyer had been her brother all her life. You're one of his, aren't you? I am no one's but my own. You must be one of his clockwork automations. The little mouse hopped off the logs and climbed up Isabel's dress to look her in the eye. Isabel would have thought it impossible for a mouse to appear genuinely regal, and yet here she was. I am the monarch of the Murinae. The most regal of all rodents, I am the Mouse Queen. Mice are ruled by a queen. We were. I've stepped down so my son may learn to lead before I am gone. A Mouse King. And he wants those shoes. The King of Mice wants to dance. No. The fool has reasons of his own. But you don't want your daughter to have those shoes and I don't want my son to get them either. Give them to me and I will steal them away to where neither of them will ever be able to get them again. Where will you put them? Leave that to me. But try to burn them and they will not burn. Try to bury them and they will dance their way back to your daughter. Fill them with lead and throw them in the ocean and somehow they will return. Your only hope is to give them to me. And Clara's mother, having quite had her feel of unburnable shoes and talking mice, relented. Take them. They're yours. As all things are in time. Some days later, Drosselmeyer was in his workshop bent over the wood he had purchased from the Italian puppeteer. The living wood. It cried out as he carved. Quiet! That's not what your mouth is for. Again the wood cried out, and Drosselmeyer drove his hammer down on his chisel. The wood fell silent. No one requires you to speak. The wood did not answer. Mice, mice, mice. They have them and they will be returned to my niece. My sister is one thing, but the mice are quite another. The slippers are in the nut. The nut is unbreakable, but it won't be for you. You're going to go get it for me. That's why I'm bringing you into being. That is what you are for. You are a Christmas present, a warrior, a tool, and my niece's salvation. I don't really like lifeless servants being told by their masters to be quiet, but maybe that's just me. Let's pause for a commercial break while I ponder my role in the universe. Christmas! Give me all the things for Christmas. You got to! Christmas! We now return you to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers Electronic Storytime presentation of Requiem for a Rodent. The Mouse King's 14 eyes looked straight up into the branches of the fir tree above him. The silver tinsel glittered, reflecting the candlelight in the room. The left half of the tree looked reddish, but he knew that was just from the blood pouring over some of his heads from where he'd been struck. The tree and the tinsel blurred. He was dying, he knew, and with the realization came a little relief. Though he had been a monarch of his people, life had mostly been hard. Though it had once been sweet. He tried to focus on that as the end came. The first time he had seen the fairy, he was a young mouse prince. 
He was given much more freedom than the other mice, princes and princesses, because, as had been explained to him so many times by his mother, the Mouse Queen, he would surely never be king. There is but one crown to rule over the kingdom of mice, and you, my son, have seven heads. How could you be king? Ruling a kingdom takes single-mindedness, and you have seven minds. Seven minds, but one heart, mother. Look at your brothers and sisters. Such regal bearings on their single heads. Two heads, the mouse prince had always heard, were better than one. But seven he found to be rather a burden. Even as royalty, the other mice always mocked him at his mouse school. Perhaps it was because they saw his siblings doing the same. Perhaps it was because they knew even his mother cursed him and called him things like... Freak. Or... Monster. Or... Mistake. Everyone had treated him with such cruelty until one day, when he was out with his twenty brothers and sisters and came upon a bowl of sweeties that had been knocked to the floor. The humans weren't around and he and his siblings swarmed the hard candies. Amazingly, there was just enough for all of them. The seven-headed mouse prince was about to bite into his candy with several of his mouths at once when his brother, Mortonomouse, grabbed his candy from him. This one's for me! But you already have one. Yep, and now this one's mine too. None for you, freak. And the royal mouse children all laughed and scurried away to enjoy their treats in private. The mouse prince sat down on the very spot. Tears welled up in his eyes and began rolling down two of his cheeks. Soon enough, all seven of his heads were crying. What's the matter, little prince? The mouse prince looked up and wiped the tears from two of his eyes. Floating in the air above him was the most beautiful thing he had ever seen. She was a fairy, pink and sparkling like sugar in a sunbeam. Her thin, hard candy wings refracted the light and enwreathed her body in a little rainbow. She asked again, What's bothering you, dear? There were many, many things bothering the mouse prince, but most of all at the moment, My brothers and sisters, they took all the candy. They took it all and wouldn't let me have a single bite. Well, that at least is something I can help with. The pink pixie leaned forward and placed her empty hands in the mouse prince's paws. And when she took them away, he was holding a long pink and white candy cane. She smiled at him, turned, and fluttered away. And before she disappeared completely, he heard her say, I must return to the kingdom of sweets. He never forgot this single act of kindness in an unforgiving childhood. Someday I'll find you there, he vowed, for his seven minds and his one heart all agreed. He was hopelessly in love with the sugar plum fairy. He ran back toward the hole in the wall that led to the mouse kingdom. As soon as he was inside, he saw them. His twenty brothers and sisters, all dead. Most still clutching the half-eaten sweets in their hands. Had the beautiful fairy done this? Had she delivered him from his siblings too? But no. There was still a wrapper in the candy his brother Augustus was holding. One of his seven heads had decided to learn to read the human words and could decipher the letters printed upon it. Hare, Drosselmeyer's, Mouse Killer Candies. And because so many of his heads were still naive and foolish, they added, I must tell Mother. The Mouse Queen's fury was boundless. Bring me my most brutal squadron of mousenaries. A brutalion of enormous mice soon arrived. What are your orders, my queen? The inventor, Drosselmeyer, I want him dead! Uh, not sure we can kill a whole man, your majesty. Fine. Then bring me his eye. That we can do. Good. Go now. Wait! 
One of you stay behind. What for, lady? The Mouse Prince needs a beating. What? Mother, why? For surviving. As the years passed, the Mouse Prince never forgot the Sugar Plum Fairy, the deaths of his siblings, nor the beating his mother had ordered. There was hardly a moment in his life when at least one of his heads wasn't thinking about at least one of those events. Though he dwelled on the beautiful fairy the most. Even when his mother finally decided to step down and he was named the Mouse King and six more royal crowns were forged, he never forgot her. But she had never returned to him. Could there be some way he could go to her? He tried overdosing on hard candies, but it did not take him to her. When the children left out their Candyland game, he tried following the multicolored path, but it did not lead him to her. Bendy. I'm quite sure they didn't have the Candyland board game at the time of this story. Dash it all, you're right. And I thought I was being adorably clever. And now you're feeling as silly as you would if you were stuck in the molasses swamp. Just call me Gloppy. Anyway, he was nearly ready Remember Grandma Nut? Bendy, enough Candyland. (laughs) Grandma Nut. Anyway, he was nearly ready to give up when one of his spies came to him with exciting news. Your Majesty, I bring you important news of the enemy. The feline in footwear? No. The agriculturalist spouse? No. The inventor, Drosselmeyer. I did not assign a spy to Drosselmeyer. Your mother did, sire. Still she has her secret orders. Am I king or am I not king? I brought the news to you, my liege. True. What news? He's purchased enchanted ballet slippers, your majesty. Weird. Go on. Whoever wears them as they dance will be transported. To where? To the Kingdom of Sweets. Mark my words. In the end, I will get those shoes. And in the end, he did. At least, after a fashion. The human girl had been given the shoes only to have them taken from her and then retrieved by her wooden hero. The Mouse King led his rodent warriors in glorious combat against the wooden hero and his army of tin soldiers, and surprise of all surprises, against the expectations of his mother, who always called him a fool, against the unfortunate twist of genetics that had made him a monster, against even his own self-image, he had won! I did it! Do you see me now, mother? I am the Mouse King! It was then that the human girl struck him in the head with the hard wooden toes of her slippers. One brain destroyed, and the blood pouring from the wound would soon finish the job. The Mouse King's fourteen eyes looked straight up into the branches of the fir tree above him. The silver tinsel glittered, reflecting the candlelight in the room. The left half of the tree looked reddish, but he knew that was just from the blood pouring over some of his heads from where he'd been struck. The tree and the tinsel blurred. He was dying, he knew. And with that realization came a little relief. Though he had been a monarch of his people, life had mostly been hard. Though it had once been sweet. He tried to focus on that as the end came. Good night. Sweet Mouse, now let's take a moment to feed our heads with the Science Kids. Well, apparently the Science Kids have already left for winter break. Um. Okay.
So, we now return you to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers electronic story time presentation of the Nutcracker Sour. Drosselmeyer picked up the ballet slipper still dripping with the Mouse King's blood and turned to his niece. Clara's Christmas Eve had been horrific and wonderful. First the gift of the strange and beautiful Nutcracker, then, after a short sleep, she had awoken to find the Nutcracker was gone. She came downstairs to look for it and saw it standing there under the tree holding her slippers. The slippers her wonderful uncle had given her that her mother had taken away. Her Nutcracker had found them and brought them back to her. But then the mice had attacked, and the Nutcracker had saved her, and then been struck down. And then... Clara, your shoes. He was holding them out to her. Oh, how she wanted them. Put them on, and go dance, Clara. But my mother... Put them on, and then you don't need to worry about your mother. No one can stop you. Clara reached for them despite herself, but then she drew back. She'll only take them away again. And in her voice, Drosselmeyer heard her broken heart. Afraid to lose again, so afraid to have anything, let alone the most important thing. Your mother won't be able to take them away this time, I promise you, and won't ever stop you from dancing again, because you're going away. Away? Away to dance, to dance all you want, and to learn. Where those shoes will take you are the finest dancers anyone will ever meet, and if you're lucky, You'll find the Sugar Plum Fairy and she'll take you as her student. There's no finer training for someone like you. It's what you deserve. Uncle! Damn it, Clara! Before it's too late and your mother comes or the Mouse Queen learns what has happened, do you want to dance? Tell me. Tell me, because I know it's more important to you than anything else in the world. If you want to dance, then- Clara suddenly took the shoes from him. I want to dance, Uncle, more than anything! Put them on. And Clara did. Drosselmeyer looked at her with pride, but also with sadness. Now dance. Clara extended a leg and took a step, a spin. Oh, they felt so perfect. Drosselmeyer stopped her suddenly. She was startled. A moment. He bent and picked up the nutcracker. He brought it close to his mouth and whispered a few sentences in its ear. Then he handed it to Clara. Again, with your new partner. She laughed, bent her knees, and in utter joy, she leapt. And was gone. Drosselmeyer smiled. He ran his hand through his silver hair. Hard work, but job well done. Clara was in the land of sweets. She was free. He did briefly consider leaving immediately. To avoid the wrath of his sister, he did not imagine he would any longer be welcome as part of her family after this. But he liked to think he was not quite as self-centered as his sister believed. He would wait out the hour or so until the sun came up and everyone woke for Christmas morning and then he would calmly tell his sister what he had done and why it was for the best and let her take out whatever anger she wanted on him and then he would go away forever. It was the decent thing to do. And first he would even do his sister the service of cleaning up dozens of dead mice lying in little pools of blood all over the room. He had just dropped the last stiff little body into his bulging pockets when he heard his sister walk up behind him. You're up early. I was cleaning up the mice. Oh, don't start. Well, there were a lot of them, and I didn't think you'd like- It's Christmas morning, so I'm going to change the subject away from your mouse obsession. And thank you for making last night so wonderful for the children. 
Everyone loved the toys, brother. And while I happen to think a nutcracker is a very strange gift to give as a toy, Clara seemed to love it. But I think that's mostly because she loves you. If you gave her a dictionary and a soup ladle, she'd carry them both around with her always. Hmm. I want to apologize, is mostly what I'm saying. About the last time we spoke, I said terrible things to you. A lot of them were true, but I said them without tenderness. You're so important to this family, and I know nothing could ever really change that. I love you so much. We all do. Well... I imagine the children will be down soon. I'm surprised they're not awake yet, but... Clara won't be coming down. I'm sorry? She's gone. I wanted to tell you myself. Clara is... Gone. Not in this world anymore. I sent her to a different world. But it's a lovely world, for the most part, really. The Kingdom of Sweets. The Sugar Plum Fairy rules there, and she's a rather strange creature, to say the least. Dreamlike, and I mean that in the best and worst possible ways. But the point is, she's the finest dancer I've ever known, and- Dancing? And it really wasn't your decision. A gift like Clara's, well, I'm sorry, but it can't be ignored. And it was Clara's decision, as it should be. She put the shoes on of her own free will, knowing perfectly well what they do, and- The shoes? The shoes were the way in, and before you ask- Bring my daughter back this instant, or you- As I was saying, before you ask, you should know it's irreversible, and there's no known way back. So she's just gone, but, and I don't mean this euphemistically at all, she's in a better place. Very much better. You sent my daughter to Sugarland? That's not what we call it, but- By herself? A little girl! No, of course not. She went with the Nutcracker. You're mad. You're mad! Where's my daughter? I've told you, and she's not a little girl. Why, I imagine she's almost 12, isn't she? Alice was six when she went to Wonderland. I went to see her, by the way. Had to borrow a bit of mushroom for the shrinking, you know. And Dorothy... Dorothy was, well, very young. When you think about it, Clara was really well beyond the age when she should be off to strange lands with magic shoes. The Little Mermaid! She was very young when she went to the land above and... Well, bad example, I suppose she turned into sea foam. Then again, not forever. And after 300 years of being sea foam, I can only imagine the wisdom she gained. These things all work out in the end is what I'm saying. But by this point, Isabel had picked up a fire poker and had raised it over her head. Jocelyn ducked just in time and then stumbled backwards, a couple of bloody mice falling out of his pocket and landing on the ground with unpleasant splat sounds. I swear if you don't bring Clara back here, I will kill you! I'll kill you, you monster! She swung the fire poker at him again, this time catching his upraised arm. Ah, my arm! I can't bring her back! I can't bring her back! He threw a sofa pillow at her as she came on with another onslaught and just managed to sidestep her swing. Listen to reason, will you? She's going to be happy where she is. She'll have wonderful adventures and... Ah! And she won't have a crazy woman swinging fire pokers at her and telling her to bury her ah! soul and her talent and her spark. She'll become herself, who she's meant to be, and there's nothing you can do about it anyway. So you might as well try to be happy for her because she's far beyond your reach and any further damage you can cause her and... And with that, there was a pop and a flexing of space to the right of Drosselmeyer and suddenly, Clara was standing there. Barefoot, holding a nutcracker, her nightgown muddy and ripped and already melting snow dampening her hair and dribbling down her nose. Mother! She yelled and throwing the nutcracker aside, quite incidentally at her uncle who caught it, she ran across the room, her pink bare feet slapping against the hardwood floor. She threw herself into her shocked mother. Isabel dropped her fire poker on the ground with a clatter and then wrapped her arms around her daughter. Oh, darling, darling, you're all right. Oh, you're back, you're back, my baby. I'm never leaving again. Shh, 
it's okay now. And I am definitely never dancing again! What is this? There's not supposed to be any way back! And, and why would you come back? You are free! And here, Clara turned her head from her mother's embrace, and the look she gave her uncle was as cold as the Kingdom of Sweets and as wounded as a Mouse King's head. Get out! Clara turned back to her mother. Mom, I missed you so much! I'm so happy you're home. I love you very much. You are grounded for three months. You can eat your meals in your room alone. Okay. Oh, for the love of God. Both women gave Drosselmeyer a look that let him know he was in grave danger if he stayed any longer, and his arm was already throbbing and possibly broken where Isabel had hit him, so he made his way to the door. But on the way out, he heard Clara talking, so he paused. I danced a lot, Mother. And that part was wonderful at first, and I'm very sorry. I shouldn't have done it, but I was always cold and always alone. And the Nutcracker is, is all well and good in a fight against mice, but not very good against Russian Cossacks or bears. And he's not a bad dancer for a boy, but he's terrible company, Mother, because he can't talk, just cracks nuts. And do you know how many nuts there are in Candyland? Not a lot of nuts. Well, not that kind of nuts. There was definitely a lot of crazy people. Everyone was crazy. Everyone danced, but everyone was crazy. When there was anyone at all, and a lot of times there were not, and it was very lonely. And the sugar plum fairy is a horrid creature who says mean things, and dancing is a lot of work. When someone makes you do it all the time and says you're doing it wrong, and I missed you. I really, really missed you. And I promise I won't ever do any of it again. I'll be good. And I hate Uncle Drosselmeyer. Drosselmeyer exited and walked through the cold Christmas pre-morning streets to his own home. Later that evening, after a Christmas day spent cleaning his workshop, Drosselmeyer sat at his desk. Surrounded by his tools and instruments, he looked at the nutcracker on his desk, its mouth somehow permanently wedged open in what looked like a horrified scream. The living wood, at least to all appearances, no longer very living. He threw it on a pile of scrap. And then he stared for a while at the blackboard, mocked by its empty nothingness. He slumped forward in his chair and buried his face in his hands. There was a small scratching on the table next to him, and a voice spoke that he had never heard before, but immediately knew the owner of. Good evening, inventor, said the mouse queen. Come to gloat, old enemy. About what, inventor? She went back, after everything I tried to do for her. After all my planning and inventing and... She went back. She went back to my sister, to her terrible mother. And my son is dead. I don't think either of us feels like we won tonight. Your son was a monster. Yes, but only after I made him one. What are you drinking? Hot buttered rum. How festive. Tis the season, I suppose. Drosselmeyer placed a small piece of metal in her hand. Inside were small spiraling rings leading into a chamber. It would serve well enough as a cup for a mouse, and the inventor poured a bit of his drink into it. What do you call this piece of metal, inventor? A nut. The mouse queen squinted at her old enemy. Was he joking with her? The inventor shrugged. Life is full of such little moments of coincidence, the shrug said. I've given up on looking for meaning in them. The mouse queen lifted the nut to her mouth. The liquid was warm and sweet, but did not transfer feelings to her that were either of those things. If you have not come to gloat or threaten, what have you come for? I don't know, really. Just to tell you that I'm done. 
Our war is over. I just wanted to bring you a message. A little advice. Advice? For me? Yes. And whether I bring you this advice out of spite or pity, I truly cannot say. But I can tell you the advice is honest and true. And what is your wisdom, Queen of the Mice? Stop trying to save her. You can't save her. She doesn't even know she needs to be saved. All your cleverness, all your plotting, even all your love, it cannot save her. Not now. So give up? Do nothing? Prepare her. Make her feel strong. Make her feel smart. I doubt I'll ever be permitted to speak to her again, or that she would want to talk to me if I were. Oh, I doubt that. Family is a malleable thing. Even your sister is not foolish enough to stay estranged from her own brother. And children forgive. When she does, let her feel loved. And then hope when the time is right she will know she is worthy of saving herself. Drosselmeyer understood now what the Queen meant by wondering if the advice came from spite or pity. The words felt true, but maddening. It will be agony to wait. The very best presents are always the ones you have to wait for. The Mouse Queen finished her drink, then dropped the nut back onto the work table. She scurried down the table leg into a little divot in the door that would be just large enough for her to squeeze through. Goodbye, Inventor. Happy Christmas, Your Majesty. Yes, Happy Christmas. The Mouse Queen wrapped her cape around her and prepared to face the cold outside. And Drosselmeyer took another swig of rum and steeled himself to face the cold within. A grim and somber tale for the holidays, cousins. There aren't enough of the sort. Cousin Lucinda! Cousin Millicent, we didn't see you there on the stairs. See, I told you we were better storytellers than our cousins, Lucinda. Not that I disagree, dear Millicent, but what makes you say so today? Look at midnight, curled up by the fire. They put their audience to sleep. Sometimes that's the goal, Cousin Millicent. A complicated tale for a cat, though, I think. She's a very intelligent feline. Still, a cautionary tale of a woman who must learn that being consumed by her hate will only lead to despair. And a genius who has to learn that there are some things she... I mean, he has to learn to let go. I wonder that there weren't others you were hoping might hear. Well, if so, I'm sure we would have told it to them and not just the cat. Come. Join us by the fire, dear cousin. It's our first Christmas all in Brimblebank's Manor together. Shall I get some hot cocoa? The buttered rum sounded good to me. In a few years, Millicent. Nuts. As the Mouse Queen said, things are better if you have to wait for them. What else shall we do? Tread carefully. We're establishing new traditions. Shall we exchange presents now? Best to wait for Christmas morning, I think. A sing-along, perhaps? But Midnight just fell asleep. More stories? Yes. Yes. Just the thing. Who wants to go first? You have been listening to the inscrutable Brimblebanks Brothers electronic storytime presentation of the Nutcracker Counter Melody, or A Tough Nut to Crack, written by Brody H. Sprocky and Justin Dudovic and starring Brody H. Sprocky as Bentley Brimblebanks and Justin Dudovic as Jameson Brimblebanks. This episode's story was brought to life by the voice talents of Riley O'Brien as Drossil Meyer, Colleen Stano as Isabel and Lucinda Brimblebanks, Leia Bauer as the Mouse Queen and Millicent Brimblebanks, Peter Danica as the Mouse King. 
declarative Rhesus Clara, Theo Billops as Pinocchio, the Shoemaker, and the Mouse Anneri, Michaela Franklin as the Sugar Plum Fairy and the Mouse Spy, and Brody H. Rocky as Geppetto and Morton Emmas. This episode's commercial, Christmas, was written by Brody H. Rocky and starred Ryan N. Wilcox and Grayson Wilcox. If you enjoyed this story, Please subscribe to the Inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers Electronic Storytime. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter or just slowly from a car. Trying to look nonchalant, closely enough so you don't lose track of us, but not so closely that we notice you. Because I assure you, you do not want us to notice you. You hear me, punk? Yeah, that's what I thought. Until next time, this young girl, Foxbot 5000, saying happy Christmas to all and to all a good night.